0: I have a question for you. Okay. Do you think today God still divinely chooses leaders?
1: Okay. <laughs> That's a big question, but I I'm going to answer. Be. It's, okay. Oh, you are.
0: I thought you could always yep. defer. There's nope. A, there's no compulsion. Nope. In this. I'm doing it. Okay.
1: Okay. Do I? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, okay. So can I answer from like my my American religious history self.
0: Of course, of course.
1: Well, I think what's interesting about that question... If that's your real self. It is my real self. Okay. I actually think about this a lot, mm. whether or not God chooses leaders, especially in relationship to how like religious people in America think right. about that. There's a
0: famous verse, of course, in the book of Romans, right? That all, mm-hmm. you know, God divinely appoints leaders and so on. And so that's been taken in like me- a really, million really different, different directions. ways. And so, yeah. yeah.
1: And I think what's interesting about this country was kind of, it, it was founded on the idea of throwing off this notion mm-hmm. that God has set a a line of kings over particular nations. Mm-hmm. So, like early Americans threw off the long-standing idea, the belief in this thing called the divine right of kings, like that that God like put people in place oh. so that you should be subject to them and you should right. you know defer to them and most importantly pay their pay taxes to them. So. But on the other hand, American religious people have also
0: mm-hmm.
1: tended to believe that God does, like, you know, ordain some mm-hmm. people to lead in particular times. Mm-hmm. And if we're looking at the Bible, I got to say,
0: mm.
1: seems like that is the case. But here's one big caveat. Mm-hmm. And my friend, a really important theologian and pastor named Dr. Micah Edmondson, mm-hmm. once said something <laughs> To me, which has been striking, it's just like stood out in my mind. He said, God does choose leaders, but God also judges people with bad leaders. So if we think that God chooses leaders, that doesn't mean that they're a good leader.
0: Right. It doesn't mean that they're right. You're right they exactly. might be
1: actually really bad. Like God, God may be like punishing people,
0: Oh,
1: you know? So I'm actually, I'm open to the idea. I don't yeah. feel super strongly about it. What do you think? Well, I
0: think it's tantamount to the question. You could say whether God is directing history at all, right? Like if right. God is directing right. history at all, then why would leaders not be a, uh, part, a part of that, of that big that.
1: plan? It what? doesn't, it doesn't really like bother me either way, but what right. do you think?
0: No, I, I, I think, I think yes, but in a qualified sense, like you say, like it, it might, Yes, but it might not look like you think it's going to look.
1: Yeah. You might like you might not like it. You might not like it. Cuz I think I might I- not like it. The idea is that people use it as a way of saying like if God chose this person, you can't resist them. Right. And that's where I'm like, well, wait a second. God puts yeah. if you we look at the biblical record, right. God puts certain people in charge and they're terrible.
0: Oh, And yeah. they ought
1: to be resisted.
0: Welcome, so. my friends, to the I Need to Know More podcast Woo! for our big word this week, Kingdom. We are just going bananas on this topic because it's basically covering not just four books of the Bible, but potentially something more like fifteen or eighteen books of we the Bible. We went there. We, so went, we there. went there. Yep. First Samuel, Second Samuel, First Kings, Second Kings are the core kind of plot narrative. Mm-hmm. So, if you are students, as 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 you would be hopefully reading uh, excerpts from First Samuel, Second Samuel, First Kings, and Second Kings, you are getting a rough kind of choppy plot summary of everything that happens within these books but then you have books like chronicles first and second chronicles which retells parts of first second first and second samuel first and second Kings.
1: i i actually kind of like the chronicles take oh do you but yeah i don't know the king's yeah. take chronicles is like a, a kinder nicer mm, right but the king's is. take is a little bit more bloody and gory if
0: we had a this 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 topic this week's topic oh, friends, leaves us both wishing that we had kind of like a part two to this course, like another full year where we could go back and excavate just like so much deeper. But like, and then we could explain like what, what Chronicles, what are we even talking about? Yeah, yes, there's yeah. other books called First Saint Chronicles and we could talk about why they're different and all this stuff. I, I'm really struck by this week's material, just like how voluminous the Bible is, how many different books there are. And then the prophets, these prophets like... Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Amos, Hosea, they most of these prophets fit within this time period scope that we're talking about, usually within the books of 1st and 2nd Kings, really 2nd Kings. So most of the named prophetic books in the Bible were acting, living people during the time of 2nd Kings.
1: And directly related to your opening question, mm-hmm. many times mm-hmm. they are calling out wicked rulers oh yeah so there's there's your point right there (laughs) even if god did choose them
0: we had a mini theo pop culture smackdown right there just you in and of yourself played it all out which is like yes god can direct history god has a king but those prophets so god god gives god gives actually israel two things at the same time god gives israel leadership and then critique of leadership at the same time
1: yes i think that's some words to live by Mm -hmm. uh you know, just in as all many of the students here, you all are just entering into your adult lives. Right, Something right. to think about. <laughs> well, do you have a favorite um, story? There are so many rich oh, and like goodness. striking stories that we've covered this week. Do you have a favorite in the oh, huge amount of ground that we've covered? Oh wow! Just personally, like it might be the most fun or it might be I most have, interesting. I
0: recently had because of some a writing project I had I had finished a, a year ago. I had, I had felt a lot of, I don't know if sympathy is the right word, but a lot of, yeah, maybe sympathy, maybe a lot of just like thoughtfulness around the character of Saul mm. in 1 Samuel.
1: I love the character of Saul. Tragic Tell me character. more. Why, what is it?
0: Well, because oh, on your theme of like, is leadership chosen, but is leadership a punishment? Like the people, okay, so we came Ugh. we came out of the land, right? The land issue and the people got the land, but things were going kind of chaotic. And by the time you get to the end of the book of Judges, there's this repeated statement and the people did what was right in their own eyes. Yes, that's never a good sign. And it's like, yeah. And in those days, this repeated statement states there was no king in Israel, which almost sounds like they're the narrator of judges is trying to say, get it, get it. This is the lawlessness without a king. king. Yeah. So when you get to first Samuel and then you see that now the people are really messing it up again, you see that Samuel is a judge. Actually, he's one of the judges, Samuel, but he's also a prophet. He's kind of like an everything person, but he has these sons and his sons are losers. Oh yeah, Huge it's it's, loser. it's actually
1: interesting because in my imagination, Samuel's like one of the top of the judges, right? Like he's yeah a, he should he's, be he's like in the top five for he's, sure. He's a top five I mean, <laughs> a in judge. terms of righteousness. His the sons are like way down there.
0: He's a he's not a top five in terms of parenting. Yeah. But then again, do you want to blame the parent for the kids? Well, I the, the
1: more the older I get as a parent, the more I'm like, let's not blame the parent. Let's <laughs> never blame the parents.
0: Are, <laughs> parents are not at fault. parents are not at fault um yeah it used to be the case right i would i would i would see like a kid melting down in a store and i'd look and i'd be like look at the parent like get your act together now i'm looking at the kid i'm like that kid should go to prison yeah
1: no get it together
0: get it together kid (laughs) what did he do put him in prison put him in put him in juvie juvenile detention
1: yeah he's he's four years old i know yeah doesn't matter matter. you
0: go do hard time as a four-year-old okay yeah so
1: back given that
0: given that backstory about the need for a king that the book of Judges seems to clearly show. And the book of Deuteronomy, by the way, in kind of a deep cut passage, I don't think we read or talked about in the class, there's, there's, this is Deuteronomy 18. There are like rules for a king, rules for mm-hmm. how a king mm-hmm. should interact. Mm-hmm. Everything is preparing you for the king. So when the people see that Samuel's sons are losers, they see that the Philistines have just stolen the ark and for Samuel, Ugh. they're like, give us a king. And God's like, yeah, you should have never had a king. I'm your king, which enshrines a deeply biblical idea that namely God is king, which is yes. pretty amazing. But mm-hmm. Saul is just like, what does he really do that's wrong? I mean, he he kind of like partially follows god's commands he's kind of like he's a big strong warrior he's tall
1: he's handsome he's
0: handsome he's not but he just can't quite pull it off and so it almost seems like he has minor infractions compared to his successor david who is a man Who's after like god's own heart but who is like a, a warlord vicious.
1: yeah yeah a lot of problems so
0: it's like what is this telling us but was samuel i'm sorry was saul partly an indictment on the people so the people are the ones who are like, "Yeah, give me a king." And like mm-hmm, God doesn't mm-hmm. like their attitude for his own reasons. And he's like, "Fine, you want a king? I'll give you a king that's just like you that can't really quite follow me but seems great." And so you could interpret the story that <laughs> and way. And
1: then Bob's your uncle as they say in Britain, you get the Psalms.
0: And then, <laughs> that's right. But he's very talented. He's yes, yeah, so David's David's a different kind of guy, but at least he's God's own choice and he follows the narrative pattern of the youngest son and so on.
1: Well, I'm glad you brought up Saul because the older I get, the more mature I get as a human being. I think the more I I am compelled by Saul. Mm. Like I find him to be a very, very sympathetic character. Oh, really? Why? Well, because here's the thing: the the, the older I get, um, the more I realize that leadership is really hard, oh. and that people are terrible to lead. Oh, <laughs> as a rule, do not you know, get don't do, started. And so I know topic. you're in a you're you're in a recently promoted into a leadership role. You know this probably more like you felt this more keenly than i have but um so i actually feel really badly for saul and i agree that there are some things like he's upset even even his frustration with david a lot of it's understandable like david you know like runs Mm -hmm. off with his daughter like you know like there's there's a lot of stuff like has a closer relationship to him than his son is it's a very it's a soap opera thing if
0: you read all of first samuel students you would read this drama between david and saul basically first samuel is tied up with this drama
1: and if 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 I were friends with both of them, I think I might side with Saul. You I'm like, like this Saul. poor guy. You might right? like David,
0: but you might like Saul. It's not clear yeah. that like, but this is the mystery of of, of God's choices and how this works. It's yeah, like, I like that part. So seeing the leaders, though, as as representatives of something bigger could get us into a, a better way rather than just judging them individually. Like, well, clearly, let's let's judge right. the merits. David's worse than Saul. So why didn't God promote Saul? OK. But life is like this. I mean, you see this, right? Politically just in your own life, it's like do the most deserving people get to be in leadership and then what happens and Yes. you can draw your own conclusions about, you know, the various politics that you see in your time and what you think but it's like there's just a, a lot going on so first samuel second samuel by the time you get to second samuel david is just king but even there by the time david gets to be king he only gets to really just be this undisputed unproblematic king for a couple for chapters like a, half a second for a half yeah. second and then it's like the whole half the book after chapter 11 i think is just the fallout from his problem with killing Uriah and taking the wife Bathsheba and just all the stuff with his kids goes totally downhill. downhill.
1: Yes, his very tragic relationship with his son Absalom. Like oh. That, which there's a, a beautiful, several beautiful pieces of music written about that. Mm-hmm. Um, But like, yeah, I think you get the por- a portrait of a leader and of a kingdom that is struggling to come into their own. Mm-hmm. And you correct me if I'm wrong, but like David... For in terms of just like the the legend of Israel, he's like the high point, right? Oh, yeah. Like no, this is the golden huge, age. He's a huge, huge figure. And we look when we look at the golden age, it's it's still quite complex.
0: Well, this brings up and this was a very popular kind of theological point that came up in a lot of biblical studies scholarship, not to go all deep on everybody in the scholarly realm, but in, in professional theology. But a lot of people, I think, especially after the nineteen sixties in America, period of great change of foment yes of foment foment the right word. yeah, yeah foment yeah. where many things were fomenting yes um changing and being born and dying and just there was a lot going on probably not unlike the current time in, in some ways but mm-hmm. um yeah there was there, there was there were a couple of prominent old testament scholars that came up and they were like even though the bible depicts david as a high point and certainly solomon they were like oh no, this is a low point of Israel's experience, David and Solomon. Why? Because this is like the institution taking over. And oh, God, that sounds and like God, something hippies would yeah, say. Yeah, like it's like a hippie. It's <laughs> In like the 60s? A, it's like a hippie Old Testament Christian argument. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. This was never what God wanted. Like even David, you know, even though David's... <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Like these are basically secular leaders. And the one point is Second Samuel. Again, you'd have to go back and really read all of 2nd Samuel. God basically doesn't even get mentioned through most of the book. It's like God is weirdly absent. And so, are we left to think that a leader like David, even though he's after God's own heart and God chooses him and he becomes, you know, this great ancestor of of David and uh, of Jesus, and and the language of David is really important in the New Testament in some places like the book of Matthew? Even so, what you see in David and Solomon is essentially a brutal, a brutal kind of, you know, secular dictatorship. Yeah, Solomon tries to build God a temple, but God even has some weird things to say about the temple in 1 Kings. Like when Solomon wants to build it for him, I want to find this passage, but. The the number one rule of all time is if you're a biblical scholar and you're trying to find a passage, you're you, not gonna find. You can't it. find it, and then you, I bet you will. You feel the wow, like wow us. I'm looking. I'm thinking it's in First Samuel, um, five.
1: I should say because this is now becoming a running theme. It's while not. you're looking, yeah, is that um, I love the passages that talk about preparing the temple mm-hmm. because I I actually think it's a really beautiful. Description of like what God has in mind for human worship. Oh, what do you mean? Well, how precise it is and how much of like the the kingdom of Israel, like all their time and resources are supposed to be invested in this. right? Right. And like there's a beautiful scene where they get everything set up and then they start the worship and then it talks about like the presence of God basically yes. like knocking everybody flat I love oh, that Oh, okay. Beautiful.
0: that's exactly where I was looking because oh, really? it, there's a weird oh, cool. little statement in there yes this is so perfect.
1: I couldn't find it but I'm not a biblical scholar the, so I don't have is, to
0: this is 1st Kings chapter 8 this is the building of the temple and the, and the consecration oh it's so beautiful 1st Kings chapter 8 they're dedicating the temple so they finally build this like official structure where God can dwell mm-hmm. David mm-hmm. wanted to do it God said no and they, they've been
1: in the wilderness they've, they've been, been in on the wilderness. this whole thing. they've been on this yeah. journey
0: they've been out like backpacking with God and now they're do- <laughs> now they're now they're. Like see, I think this is part of the the critique is like ah Israel's just getting a little too formal. They were doing it right in yeah, the wilderness. I don't buy that. I don't. That buy was that when all. God really wanted to interact with people. And there's even a verse like this in Hosea where God says something like, "I wooed her out into the wilderness oh, talking okay, about Israel." Okay, and so, okay. uh, but I think there are different themes here yeah. that you could really pick up on a lot of things. So anyway, First Kings eight ten, and when the priest came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priest could not stand to minister. Is that the verse you're talking about? Yeah. Because yep. of the cloud. I love that section. For the glory of the Lord filled. A the lord filled the house of the Lord. Now listen to this verse. I've always found this a little weird. Oh, okay. Then Solomon said, quote, the Lord has said that he would dwell in thick darkness. I have built you an exalted house, a place for you to dwell in forever. I find that little poem he speaks out there kind of incongruous. The Lord has said that he will dwell in thick darkness. Mm-hmm. Like on Mount Sinai, yes. Like when God appears to to Moses in Exodus thirty four, and Moses mm-hmm. can't really see God, and He's very mysterious, mm-hmm. and God's uncontainable. So Solomon's like, "We can't contain God, but here's a container for you, God." Oh,
1: it's right. It's almost like
0: is is there something like there? I don't I don't know. You could spend a lot of time like thinking that. about that.
1: I like that. But here here's another thing, and this is me. I don't know if the Bible's deliberately trying to side-eye Solomon here, mm-hmm. but so if we if we think like okay, maybe Solomon, maybe he wasn't doing exactly Mm -hmm. what he should have been doing because the uh, the other thing that he does is he builds his own house way bigger than the house of god and so Uh, i'm like he already seems like he's a little off well
0: and i i i I think that's a great phrase side eye on solomon because (laughs) when you read throughout these books you're kind of seeing that this royal project as you now know from the from the main lecture for this week oh students and you're reading it doesn't work it's a fail and the kings in fact there's judgment there there is side eye cast on the entire royal project it's a failure. The people sin and they fall away and it it doesn't work. And the temple, that very temple gets burned at the end of second Kings.
1: Well, I've got a question for you and I have no idea what you're going to say. So Mm -hmm. this is good. This is a fun
0: question. Excitement.
1: Which is, I hear what you're saying and it's easy to read this as a prefiguring of Jesus, right? Like Mm -hmm. we finally get a King that works, you know, right. But, what my question is what else were they supposed to do because don't humans need like okay so they have laws but Mm -hmm. then people aren't really following them who enforces those laws Mm -hmm. the judges sort of try to but the problem is that everybody and i've always heard this thing where the israelites say like we want a king because everybody else has one i've heard that like it's a common sermonic move to be like oh they're whining like they're complaining they just want what other people have around them but i'm like of course they do who because they want keep that? getting invaded by other kings well, right no, that was so they need precisely. someone who can negotiate on their behalf precisely. and like you know precisely. they need what else what, was no, anybody else doing anything else?
0: No, I think that that's right. I mean I, I, th- that's what I meant when I brought up this idea of why does the book of judges end with this statement in those days there was no king but yeah, everyone did what was right in their own eyes and then they get the ark stolen and then Samuel's sons are losers. It's like this whole thing is leading us to this particular place and then but then God comes against this against the stream of all of it almost like against the stream of reality and yeah. it's just like I'm the king, you know, which is, I think it's, it's a very God move kind of thing, you know, to do that because it is ambiguous and it's weird and it it calls for something beyond itself in a way like Mm -hmm. Israel's kingship can't really be the solution, but you're right. They're trapped. They are. Which is why I think as a Christian reader, I mean, as if, if I were a a non-Christian Jewish reader, I would be like, I would, I might interpret that very differently or might say, God judged the Kings, but there's some other way that it doesn't have to lead to Jesus. But As a Christian, I'm reading it and I'm like, okay, it's perfect though, because yes, it shows that Israel is in fact, at this period of our story, Israel is stuck. They're just stuck.
1: Now, the people who seem, the only people who seem to be able to intervene in this seem to be this, this other category of a prophet, right? Like there's the -hmm. Kings. I totally understand why Israel wants one. I also understand why it keeps falling apart because humans are just, you know, we're all sketchy, right? Um, but then we get these other figures who seem to be—I don't know—in my from my perspective, they seem to sort of like they're in the story, but they also kind of stand outside of it mm-hmm. because they're they're asking the people, they're demanding that right. the people do different things. The prophets,
0: yes. A huge number of these prophets, we should say, are are basically clustered around a particular historical period, namely what we would call the eighth century. That's the seven hundreds BC, a time when. Um, it, as it turned out, half of the country or more than half of it in the north was actually destroyed by the Assyrians. But the Assyrians were this huge empire and they were a big threat against which precisely you would have to have, like you pointed out, the kind of kings who could protect you against these big empires.
1: OK, when I, my husband and I went to um, a museum and we saw an Assyrian door, Oh, it was OK. And people were a lot shorter back then. Mm-hmm. But even then, it was like super. What museum? Um, the British Museum.
0: Oh yeah, I've been to the British Museum. Yeah, we probably seen the same. It's like saw a the same huge
1: thing. display mm-hmm. of a door, and it's like super scary. And they then they had a little section where they talked about how brutal the Assyrians. Oh, were. Oh, the Assyrians were <laughs> it was like scary. The Assyrians
0: were scary. They used they used brutal visual propaganda. They did see they depicted scenes of torture publicly on these big monuments <laughs> to try to discourage people from. So you could imagine if you're living in the 700s, this would be scary. You're trying to just like basically build these little coalitions against the Assyrians because the Assyrians, they want to come in. They want to take over your stuff. They want to take your tax money. They want to take your stuff. They want to control you. They're an empire. That's what empires do. So these prophets though, like Amos, Hosea, Isaiah, particularly in Isaiah chapters one through 39, Micah, we didn't read or talk about Micah very much, but like these are all prophets who were basically operating during this time period, looking at Israel in the North and Judah in the South around Jerusalem and just saying, what are you guys doing? Like, what are you doing? What's happening here?
1: Um, I have a question for you regarding like Kings and maybe the relationship to the prophets. I took, um, Hebrew Bible slash old Testament from this, uh, famous, I think he's famous old Testament scholar, Jack Sasson. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, and he, I, I think it was him who said uh, people, him. he's like, students always come to me. He was a very funny guy. I liked, yeah. him. um, students always come to me and they say like, like Israel was the best in the ancient world. He's like, but they weren't a top rated He was like they weren't even like a 14th rated country no, they're like no, they like were, the little guys
0: yeah they were little guys i mean you could read the bible and think well wow, the whole world must have been obsessed with israel not really
1: so they were kind uh, of underdogs in this scenario here's
0: one thing that we do know particularly uh, well maybe even from the 9th century context so 100 years earlier than that time period i was just talking about where the assyrians were threatening from the 800s it was the case that the assyrians were still no this was in the 8th century um the assyrians were threatening. And we know that a bunch of smaller countries banded together to fight the Assyrians. And we know from Assyrian records and other kinds of data how, like, how big the coalition members were. And it turned out that Israel in the northern part of the country in particular, not the southern part where the Davidic kings are, but in the northern breakaway, what the Bible presents as the rebel group up there they were the largest contingent of the rebels, mm. but it was still like a contingent of like smaller groups, like the Arameans and the Israelites and the, this group and the, that group. But Judah in the South, they were even like smaller still.
1: That's so fascinating. I mean, this
0: like Davidic capital of Jerusalem was, one of my professors, an archaeologist, used to say it was a cow town, basically. <laughs> oh, interesting. It was a cow town. It was a, it was a small hilltop cow town. It had some cool, maybe it had a couple cool buildings, but like you can't think of it like, this giant like Wizard of Oz like land of just you know huge like like you're picturing like in the Lord of the Rings it's like Gondor <laughs> or something <laughs> right, like. right. no that Jerusalem was never that actually in the biblical Israel it would was it much be more. like
1: the closest that would have come to that would be Herod's temple maybe like in yes the, the first century by the
0: time you get to the New Testament time
1: it's like a tourist attraction it was a
0: tourist attraction it got beautified but back in these days that we're talking about it was never like first rate. I mean, that was never the basis on which God chose them. It was never the basis on which God worked with them. Back in Deuteronomy, you know, Moses says for God something like, did I choose you because you were the biggest or the <laughs> no. best or the smartest? No. You're kind of terrible. You're kind I of chose terrible, anyway. actually. And I chose you because I, I, I chose you. That. Which is weird romantic language like, to say to your spouse. Like, did I choose you because you were the nicest or most attractive? No. I just chose you because I just did.
1: That kind of reminds me of that old song, <laughs> my funny Valentine, which is like kind of mean, oh, really? you know, your yeah. looks are laughable, your blah, oh. blah, 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 blah. But like stay anyway,
0: stay anyway. There's
1: something that's kind of beautiful about that. Kind but, of. um, I'll say it. my spouse is very handsome anyhow. Um, <laughs> let's, but what about these prophets? Like what role do they play in this 14th rated nation?
0: They're gonna they're gonna stand up whenever there's a king. I mean, prophets are gonna do this. I mean, here's my favorite way of thinking about the prophets. This helps me. If it helps you, good. If not, just discard it. But if people are, you know how sometimes it's true in life, either in your own life or you see this in other people, that like, you think you're doing great. You th- that person thinks they're just alive and crushing it, but really they're just dead. They're dead inside, and, and their oh, life is dead. Yeah. A prophet is someone who comes and tells somebody you think you're, you're alive, but you're dead. You're dead. And you have to basically usher, you basically, if you're a prophet, you have to teach people how How to, how dead they are and how to feel the right way. You have to teach people kind of like you would teach kids, right? Like you don't feel guilty about this, but you should. And here's why. Oh
1: yeah. It's like prophets give people a
0: conscience.
1: I'm a prophet to my son. Yes. I realize. Yes, that's right. Actually my, my, I have a four-year-old and I've been sort of astounded by how much of parenting is teaching right emotions, right? Like how? Like you should be happy. You should, about it. You feel, should feel badly bad for this. this. You should feel good for right? this. Which, of course, you don't want to give the kid a complex. But, but at the same time, you don't want yeah. the kid thinking like it's okay to hit someone That's on right. the head indiscriminately.
0: Nope. I mean, isn't that isn't that like some? It's it's about becoming an adult morally, politically, spiritually. About like knowing what truly grieves God. What what do you, what should you be feeling bad about? And a prophet comes and tells somebody. You, it's not that it's not that you feel too bad oh everyone's too sad it's like no you don't feel bad enough you don't even know how to feel bad I'm gonna teach you mm. how to feel bad by using our nation's ancient symbols and language and rhetoric to teach you how God feels about this and a lot of that symbology goes back or symbolism really goes back to the exodus and a lot of those earlier stories where it's like you know, um, they want to go back and use those old symbols like Jeremiah in his temple sermon in Jeremiah seven. He's like, he's like going back and he's like, remember Shiloh, how God destroyed the tabernacle at Shiloh. And you're like, Shiloh. It's like, that happened like, 500 years before jeremiah lived but it's like he has a memory he can remember do you know
1: what i love about that because it's basically you're making my own profession sound so great because (laughs) that's what historians yeah like in the best sense that's what they do right like they remind you of the past Mm -hmm. to hopefully Mm -hmm. like inform the present and maybe even shape the future right um i think that this definition of prophecy like teaching people how to feel the way god like the right response Mm -hmm. to God and God's ways in the world is Mm -hmm. really different than how we in a popular culture way how we think about prophecy because we tend to reduce it to this idea like I'm gonna predict the future. Right. But you're so right. Most of the writings in the scriptures that we think of as prophetic are not actually I mean there are a few that talk about like this will happen and then this will happen. But the vast majority of these prophetic texts are about like you're doing this wrong.
0: Right. And like, God's like going to be mad You don't know how to feel the right way There's another side too though Lest it seem all just total gloom I think yeah. this image of a prophet is someone who's just like You're going to die That's <laughs> one part of it yeah. This is other part though Where for people who are downtrodden And who are doing the right thing The prophet oh, is there yeah. to say Like Ezekiel In the book of Ezekiel chapter 37 A famous passage Where it's like This whole nation's dead and, b- and bones just laying around In a big creepy valley full of bones But guess what God can breathe it to life too and so the prophet can also tell people who need to be alive how to be alive and how to come back from from disaster. So I think those two sides, teaching people who are dead that they're dead and teaching people who are alive that they're alive.
1: In some circles, the traditional definition of the prophet is speaking truth to power. Like mm-hmm. the idea that... Um, just exactly what you said, like these prophets are speaking on behalf of many people without voices mm-hmm. and they're speaking to the people with the power to make it mm-hmm. like make changes. Mm-hmm. Right. I, and I find some value. Oh, in that's, that.
0: a, that's a great way to talk about it. I mean, this is what's so great about profits is that there's so many different ways we gave, I gave, I realized in the lecture this week and even in the readings, um, short shrift to the prophets just because there's so much to talk about and we're doing the best we can it's to try really hard we got to get you through the story people
1: we're skipping a rock
0: we're skipping a rock over this um and this is all stuff you need to come back to well why don't we choose though for our text that we're going to read here and discuss um yes in a little bit less time than we usually have to discuss one but who cares let's just go for it yes. why don't we choose a prophet Like that. I'm thinking, what do you think about Isaiah chapter six? Let's
1: do that because it has, that's a passage that kind of has it all. It has a oh, lot yeah. of the beauty. Cause one of the things that we didn't really get a chance to talk to talk about, and hopefully we'll get a chance to talk about, is just the vivid language, the beauty oh. of the prophetic oh. language. Well, we're going to get to live Let's it through this it. passage.
0: One little note of background here on this opening verse, it's going to say in the year King Uzziah died. This King Uzziah was a King in the Southern kingdom of Judah around Jerusalem. He's a Davidic heir, but He was a powerful king who reigned for like 40 years. If you reign for 40 years as a king during a turbulent time, you're pretty powerful. Yeah. But his death also happens to coincide with the rise of the Assyrian empire in particular and new ways. So you've got to imagine that kind of background here. Um,
1: Like they'd enjoyed a certain amount of stability and then all of a sudden.
0: And then your source of stability dies. Wow. What is going to be the message now of God to the prophet? That's okay. the background. Okay, it's a short chapter too, so we can do this. Okay. Back and forth.
1: Yes, go for
0: it. So Isaiah chapter six, verse one. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lofty, and the hem of his robe filled the temple.
1: Seraphs were in attendance above him. Each had six wings. With two, they covered their faces, and with two, they covered their feet, and with two, they flew.
0: And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory.
1: The pivots on the thresholds shook at the voices of those who called, and the, whole, or, and the house filled with smoke.
0: And I said, Woe is me, I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts.
1: Then one of the seraphs flew to me, holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs.
0: The seraph touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed and your sin is blotted out.
1: Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send
0: me. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep listening, but do not comprehend. Keep looking, but do not understand.
1: Make the mind of this people dull, and stop their ears, and shut their eyes, so that they may not look with their eyes, and listen with their ears, and comprehend with their minds, and turn and be healed.
0: Then I said, How long, O Lord? And he said, Until cities lie waste without inhabitant, and houses without people, and the land is utterly desolate. Until
1: the Lord sends everyone away, and vast is the emptiness in the midst of the land.
0: Even if a tenth part remain in it, it will be burned again, like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains standing when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. Whew. Chills. I literally had chills. Look at this. Chills.
1: Oh, I love that language. Chills, yeah. chills, chills. I, yeah. Okay. I, I, yeah. Okay. Why do you have chills? First off, I feel like we, if we're talking about teaching people the right response to things, oh, like man. what is it that gives you chills about this? Well,
0: so the first thing that I, that I think about here that I find so fascinating, the, the first thing that gave me chills here, literal chills, was this opening line that your king Uzziah died. You're like, oh, no, the king died. And then and then um, what does Isaiah say? Yet I have seen the king. So it's like in the moment when the king dies, the king's body is failing. In another tradition, actually, in the book of Chronicles, your fave your fav presentation, yeah, yeah, like Uzziah has leprosy or some kind of skin disease. So it's like to see the body of a king fail. Mm-hmm. It's something like you never want to see the body of your leader fail. No, 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 no. You want to see a strong body, whether that's a female or a male or whatever it is, or whatever yes. that person looks. You want that person to be vigorous and alive. I think that's just a common like political need that 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 a person would oh, have, certainly, right? Yeah. But the king dies, and then it's like, but what what gets what replaces the king? It's the looming giant presence of God, who's actually presented here as a giant. Yes, he's in the temple. But just barely, the bottom part of his robe is filling the entire temple, meaning that God is actually looming like a hundred foot feet tall above the temple and overwhelming it. And Isaiah's like, "Now I've seen the king." So that that play of the king is dead. Long, long live, live the, the king, king! Is like a very that's a very powerful juxtaposition. Do you think?
1: Oh, I one hundred percent agree. And I'm thinking of like any time when people when when we are in a time of social upheaval, we need to. No, it gives us great. I think gives regular people like us normals Mm -hmm. great courage Mm -hmm. to know that we have some sort of leader. Like I'm thinking in World War II, Franklin Delano Roosevelt was famously like quite ill, and Mm. um, but he hid it from the American public on purpose. And I think a lot of it has to do with that because we like to think of our kings as the sum total of us. Right. Like Mm -hmm. our leaders are in some way a symbol of all of us. Like People think about that with Queen Elizabeth. Right. She's been very courageous in these latter days Um, and it gives people a lot of of hope. And so Mm -hmm. to think about God as occupying that space as like the real strength of all of us, that must be amazing, especially when you think that you might be facing off against the Assyrians.
0: Oh, man. This message, though, the the kind of so it's the text is set out in the Bibles, at least that we're looking at like a narrative, but then it lapses into like poetry when Isaiah actually gets the message. And there's so much imagery there that we could look at, too, with like this tongs and the 10. Yes. Often prophets are juxtaposed with priests, like this idea that priests and prophets were in conflict with each other. This is classic like Max Weber sociological theory. Oh, I love, love it. this stuff. Yes. Okay, deep cut for you yes, geeks out there. Yes, deep cut. Um, the idea that prophets represent some kind of like charismatic leadership. Like they, they get to be prophets because they're just good at talking and they just have a special spark, whereas kings, it's hereditary. And so those two roles clash with each other because they get their power from different places. But... I think the thing to notice here is that the imagery is priestly imagery. Mm-hmm. He's a prophet, but he's in the, where does he see God? In the temple. What is this imagery? But it's the accoutrement of the temple itself. The altar, the tongs, the ember, notions of cleanness and uncleanness. These are priestly notions. And yes. so-
1: yeah, and I think I'm going dis- to disagree with a lot of biblical scholars. And I'm not a biblical scholar, so keep that in mind. But... I think this idea that the temple is associated with like an institutional or kind of bureaucratic Mm -hmm. form of like authority and leadership, I think is sort of a misread of the temple because what happens in the temple is very like mysterious and mm-hmm. i don't want to use a word this is a word that maybe i was taught not to use but magical right like mm. it's it's operating outside no i know what you mean the it's normal like, world yeah, right it's,
0: it's it's on its own rules its own terms. yeah it's a, it's kind a of reality that's different
1: like kind of like physics defying yeah all this stuff like we just put our hands on a goat and send it out into the wilderness and then that forgives sins i mean that's strange right. you know so totally. i actually i appreciate that because it it sort of puts all of these forms in leadership in concert with one another mm-hmm. instead of in conflict.
0: That's a great way of looking at it, I think. The message that he gets, the the yes. message he's supposed to give, it so seems a, a little paradoxical. It does. Keep listening, but do not comprehend. By the way, just a plot spoiler, Jesus actually quotes this at a key point in the book of Mark, I think. Um, I'm going to Google this right now. Uh, quotes Isaiah six uh i think it's in the book of mark chapter uh la, 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 la. oh it's in, in in matthew um yeah it, it, it's in various kinds of places in mark and john um where um where jesus in fact quotes part of this like yes why does jesus speak in parables jesus speaks in these stories that are hard for people to understand and it's like well why would you talk like that um and in fact Jesus quotes something like this saying it's, 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 it's like this, keep listening, but do not comprehend. Keep looking, but do not understand. Almost as though the prophet has been given an impossible task. And really he's just to announce this to people who can't, who who, like cannot listen to him until their land is totally ruined. And then is there like hope in that last verse? The holy seed is its stump. Kind of like there's like a little thing left even after everything is totally burned. What a message. What does that mean? Well,
1: I come from a tradition that it, I I would call it a lively spiritual world where mm-hmm. Um, people wanted to be prophets. They wanted to have like words of prophecy from Mm, God. mm. And I remember becoming an adult and I don't even know who asked this question of me, but it Mm. stuck in my mind and it's still there, which is why would you want that? Right? Because (laughs) why would
0: you want to have to give a message? like this? Oh my
1: goodness. There are are like prophetic figures. Like I'm thinking Jonah very famously. Mm -hmm. Jonah had the right idea. He was like, no thanks. Get me out of this. Right? Because it's a really tough job. Mm -hmm. um, Speaking something that you know, is is probably not going to work. In fact, right. here it says it's not like the, what you might hope for is not going to happen, right. but you still must do it. I mean, that is there's something striking. Like, why do you do it? Like, I mean, other than the, the divine in addition to the divine.
0: It's almost stuff. like it's almost like through prophets, God needs to sometimes ha- just have an official announcement, like on that point about the prophet announcing yes. the death you're still going to die, but the prophet's going to announce it. Like he's going to tell you, it's almost, it's almost like a a kind of like a, I don't know how to put it. It it has almost like these aesthetic kind of like theatrical dimensions, like whatever's real spiritually, God needs acted out physically Mm -hmm. on earth by people Mm -hmm. in some way that, that dramatizes it as it's about to happen.
1: Do you think of, do you think that there are modern day prophets?
0: Oh man. I wonder if that's something we should debate about. (laughs) <laughs> that's a huge one we got to debate we about should it. we got to debate we about should. that at the time yeah so much material here thanks for hanging in there with us